Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Would you take your Bible and let's get into the Word tonight. Luke chapter 17. Tonight is, I can't say it's a bit of a different message because you've never heard me preach, but, uh, and I don't know necessarily how your pastor preaches every time, but it's a different message for at least me. Uh, we're going to be doing a thinking person's message, and, and uh, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, and uh, I'm not the smartest person, uh, but I, I, I do love the Bible, and I do love thinking through the Scripture. And so we're going to take you uh, on a bit of a journey tonight, and so the sermon has no points, okay? So some of you just got disappointed because you thought, man, there's no way to tell how far we are from the end. Uh, how many of you, be honest, when preacher gets to point three, you're like, okay, we're almost there. Uh, I've got no points for you tonight, so there's no hope in figuring out how far till the end. I won't be long, though. Nobody ever hated a preacher who went too short. Uh, that's kind of a motto I live by when I speak out every now and then. Uh, but I do have one big takeaway for you. One thing I think will help you as a Christian and your church this evening. Um, it's a joy to be among God's people. And so I'm going to try to take you on a journey. I'm going to give you some thoughts to think of. I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to take you to a handful of different passages in the Bible. It'll be a Bible message this evening. Uh, but we have some uh, represented in the room tonight. We have a church. We have a church body, a church family. Uh, call it what you will. Jesus used many illustrations to describe what the church should be. Uh, and we have different people from different backgrounds. Uh, some of you grew up here in California. Some of you were, how many of you were born uh, here in Newport Beach? Raise your hand. How many of you transplanted to Newport Beach? I think that's the rest of you. How many of you do not want to vote, okay? That's like 86% of you, I think, Brother Sammy. And uh, everybody's from a different place. We've got different backgrounds. We've got different stories. And yet God saw fit to put us into one body of believers. And so my goal tonight is to try to help us as a church family. And I know I'm not a part of this family or this body. I'm a part of the family of God with you. And my goal tonight is to help us do church better, to do relationships better. What I'm going to preach to you tonight works in your family, and it works in the corporate setting of Liberty Baptist Church. And so I want to take you on a bit of a journey tonight. You'll have to listen real carefully at the beginning and to think deeply with me. Here's the key statement. Are you ready? Here's the key statement that we're going to build the rest of the sermon off of. So if you're, if you're zoning out and playing Pac-Man in your mind, don't do that for the next five seconds. Would you with me? Here's the thought. Church is full of weak and broken people. Church is full of weak and broken people. Some of you are bothered by that statement. When you think about church, you think about it perhaps with a harsh attitude, and you think, oh, that person's broken, and that person couldn't help me when I wanted their help, and that person wronged me. And so some of you might be bothered by the idea that church is full of weak and broken people. Some of you are grateful because you fit right in. You think, oh, everybody, there are other people who have family struggles, and there are other people uh, who maybe aren't the dad that they want to be or the mom that they want to be. And so when I say that statement, wherever you land on that spectrum, whether you like it or you don't like it, I think we would all kind of have to genuinely agree that church is full of broken and weak people. But what does that exactly mean? When I say that church is full of weak people or church is full of broken people, I like to give you a couple of definitions. I want to give you maybe a glossary of terms. Just going to give you two definitions that we're going to work through on the idea of weakness. What is weakness in the life of a believer? Weakness is something actually that God carved into humanity. Weakness is inability. 
Weakness is, I wish I could, but I can't. I wish I had that capacity, but I don't. I wish I could answer that question for my spouse or my teenager, but I can't. Weakness is not having what you wish you had. And I want to tell you just right out the gate, that's not actually a part of the fall of man. When God created man, think with me, God actually made him weak. You think about the, the formal name of God is Jehovah, and it means self-existing one, or one who needs nothing else. He, there is no weakness in him, and yet when God made Adam in the garden, he looked at him and he said, before the fall, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. There was something missing in Adam in terms of completeness, and so God gave him a help meet. But you understand with me that weakness or inability is not a result necessarily of the fall. God gave us a body of believers, and some of you are strong in areas that others are weak in. Some of you then are strong in an area that this brother or sister is weak in. And I just want to submit to you out the gate that weakness is not a result of the fall. It's not a result of some sin or some broken past or some baggage. That's where we come to the second term of brokenness. The key thought is church is full of weakened and broke people. Well, we know that weakness is just inability, but brokenness is a lack of perfection or completeness. This is a direct result of the fall. Every person under the sound of my voice tonight is broken. You're broken by your past decisions. You're broken by the sin nature that came to you from your forefather Adam. You're broken by decisions that others have made for you. You're broken by the actions that others have perpetrated perhaps into your life. We all as humans have scars. We have pasts that are full of mistakes. And listen to me, it is these broken and weak people that I'm talking to tonight that God wants to use to build His church. It's God that wants to use these people who've got baggage and scars and stories and, and uh, maybe inabilities or, or maybe they're passionate about this but not passionate about that. And God takes all of this body of people who some are weak in areas and some are broken in other areas and He brings them together and God wants to use them. And what I find at times is that people think that weakness and brokenness somehow disqualify them from being a part of the family of God. They think, well, preacher, if, if pastor knew, you know, the mistakes that I've made, or if pastor knew what happened to me when I was a child, I couldn't teach Sunday school, or I couldn't be involved, or I couldn't serve. And I just want to warn you this evening, or I want to remind you rather this evening, that God can use weak people. God can use broken people. Really, here's my warning, what He can't use, what He won't use, yep, yep. is empty, unwilling people who won't be filled. God can take a rusty old bucket and fill it. God can take a rusty dent. It doesn't need to be shiny to be a vessel unto honor. It doesn't need to be pretty. It doesn't need to be the smartest person in the room. God can take a rusty old bucket and use it for His glory. What He can't use is a bucket that won't be filled. He can't use a Christian who won't let the Spirit of God indwell in them. He'll use a Christian who's got past. He'll use a Christian who has mistakes, who's got scars, who's got weakness, but who will be filled. God will use that Christian, but He cannot use a Christian who won't be filled. Now, let me just say this. We're transitioning here. This is not a message on emptiness. I would like to preach that someday. I've preached this particular thought to our church before, but I want to differentiate between brokenness and weakness and this idea of being empty. Emptiness is the enemy of the soul. When you think, man, I want to be used by God, but I won't let Him fill me, that's the enemy of the soul. But if you're standing over here saying, I want to be used by God, I want to be filled by God, but I've got mistakes. Fine, God will use that. God can take that person and fill them and use him for his glory, use him in incredible, use her in incredible ways. But I want to revisit this idea that the church, this church, Liberty Baptist Church, Faith Baptist Church in Bakersfield, uh, uh, is a church that is full of broken and weak people. And this creates an opportunity, and here's my message tonight, 
This creates opportunity for friction. When you put enough broken people under one roof for any amount of time, we're going to create some friction. When you've got broken people who've got pasts, and you've got people who are weak in some areas and strong in other areas, when you've got people who are really passionate about this particular topic in the Bible, and you've got people who are really passionate about this particular topic in the Bible, and you've got people from this walk of life and this political affiliation, what's going to happen is if you put them in the same room for long enough, you're going to have friction. This happens in the workplace. It happens in school, it happens in the church house, it happens in our homes as well. Because we as broken people tend toward destructive relational habits and practices. So in the big picture of things, we're still very much on the surface of the issue. This idea that our differences can cause friction. I want to go a little bit deeper with you this evening. I want to take you to the root of the issue. I want you to think deeply with me about this question. Here's the big question for tonight. I want you to search through it. I don't want you to answer out loud. I don't want you to answer right away. I want you to be slow. Here's the question. Why do broken people get hurt by other broken people? Now, now catch this. I didn't ask. Why do broken people hurt other broken people? I mean, I know the answer to that, Brother Sammy. I know why a broken person hurts another broken person. Are you ready? Because they're broken. I know why someone who has hurt in their heart hurts another person, because they have hurt in their heart. So I'm not asking why does a broken person hurt another person. What I am asking is why do we as broken people get offended, get hurt, key word, get surprised when other people who are broken hurt us? Why is that something so startling that when we come into a church where we know, okay, I don't know this brother right here in the khakis, but I can tell you he's probably, he's a broken person. He lives under the curse of man. He's got weaknesses. He's got strengths. I know Titus just a little bit. I haven't seen him in years, but I can promise you the man has some brokenness and some weakness. And so it ought not surprise me when a broken person somehow creates friction or some hardship in my life. And yet we as Christians, we know in our mind, well, yeah, yeah, there's no perfect people in church, but when they don't behave perfectly, we tend to be surprised and we tend to get hurt. And follow me here, it comes down to this one idea, it comes down to my expectations. You see, we should already know that people are broken, right? We should automatically, when we walk in the back doors of Liberty Baptist Church, know there is not a perfect person under this roof. We should recognize that at one point or another, if I stick around long enough, somebody's going to hurt me. Somebody's going to say something. Somebody's going to forget to say something. Somebody's going to maybe, maybe say something and not mean it the way that we took it. We should expect that that's going to happen. Now, when I say we should expect that, I don't mean we should walk into the back door and think, oh, everybody here's a phony, and, you know, they're going to hurt me eventually, and I can't trust nobody, and I can't love anybody, and I don't want to be close to anybody because they're just going to hurt me. I'm not talking about being jaded or being cynical. I'm talking about being like Jesus, who listened with me, who walked among broken humanity, knowing their condition. Knowing that they would offend, knowing that he would take his, they would take his love and that they would still fail, knowing that they would still fall, knowing that Peter would still deny him, knowing that Judas would still betray him, and yet we see him knowing the condition of humanity and choosing to love them anyway. Choosing to love a broken and a weak brother or sister uh, anyway. And so it surprises me as, as, a, as a Christian why I would ever be surprised when another brother or sister hurts me. It shouldn't surprise us. It should be something that we expect, but that is the problem. It comes down to our 
expectations. I've seen a lot of times, especially with newer Christians, we come into the Christian life and we have these almost rose-colored glasses and expectations that, you know, yeah, the church should be a perfect place and there's not going to be any broken people here, but then their brokenness comes to the surface and we're somehow blown away because I thought everybody at Liberty was perfect. I thought the pastor's family would never have a bad day. I thought Brother Sammy never would say something he shouldn't have said. You know, I didn't actually appreciate that joke that Brother Sammy made during service. And I'm so startled that that he would ever say something that that wouldn't be perfect. And we think, well, I thought they'd always be close to me. I thought they'd never have a bad day. I thought they'd never have a fleshly response or a harsh reaction. And, And we have this unfounded expectation that sets us up for disappointment. We look at brothers and sisters in Christ without this recognition that, hey, they're broken and they're hurting and and maybe they just had a bad week and, and maybe I should extend some grace and instead we have these lofty expectations that things are just always going to be great at liberty. Things are always going to be perfect. There's never going to be conflict. We're never going to have a disagreement. You know, pastor's always going to preach the best message we've ever heard and, and the staff's always going to be smiling and no one's ever going to have a bad day and we have these unfounded, unscriptural expectations that everything is just going to be super smooth. I'll illustrate it this way. A few months back, I had a nerve conduction test done. Anybody ever have one of those? Nobody. Great. Don't. Okay? So I had heard, uh, now any, I absolutely hate needles. I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. If you got to take my man card for it, I hate needles. There are two things in life. I've done combat sports. I don't mind getting hit in the face. I don't mind getting kicked. I don't mind any of that, but keep spiders and needles away from me. Not a fan, Brother Jay. And so I had this nerve conduction test that they, studied, that they scheduled, and so I just researched it, and they said there was going to be needles involved. And uh, so I thought, well, this isn't going to be good at all. And so so I went into the, the, uh, the doctor's office there, and, and I knew they were going to shock me, right? That's how they do a nerve conduction. They basically, they test from here to here, and so they electrocute you. I mean, they hook you up to like a battery pack, and, and they start electrocuting your arms and your legs and all these different things. And we get about to the end of the nerve conduction test, and I think, oh, thank God. This thing's almost over. She starts putting the, bat, the jumper cables away. And so I spoke up, and I said, you know, I had this crazy expectation that there were going to be needles involved in this. And she laughed. She said, oh, yeah, they are. Uh, that's the, what I'm getting the doctor for. We're actually going to electrocute you with needles. And uh, it was the worst experience of my entire life because here's what happened. Somewhere along the, li- the lines, I had expectations that this was going to be hard. And then I went in, and about halfway through, I thought, well, this ain't so bad. This ain't so bad. And then, then all of a sudden, my expectations come crashing down, and I'm horribly offended. And that happens a lot of times in relationships. God brings us to a place like Liberty Baptist Church, and, and we walk in saying, hey, I get it. I know nobody here is perfect, but then you start getting in, and you start meeting brothers and sisters in church, and man, they got a great family, and that brother sings real good, and everybody's real good, and our expectations start to peak. And then somebody, they run out of lumpia before you get through the line, and all of a sudden, crashing down in our expectations. I know that's kind of silly, but what happens is we drop our kid off at the nursery and somebody's kid bit your kid. And you thought there were all perfect people here. You started knowing there were no perfect people here, and yet somewhere along the lines you thought, man, they they love me and they're kind, nobody's ever going to make a mistake, and then somebody acts like a broken person. Somebody acts like a weak person. You call the staff with a need, and all of a sudden they didn't have the right answers, or they didn't bring the right word to you. And all of a sudden your expectations start crashing down. And this evening I want to bring our expectations back into a biblical reality. Would you go with me to Luke chapter 7 and verse number 1? That's where I told you to go at first. Let's take a look at verse number 1. 
I want to show you an exclamatory statement that Jesus made. He's making a point. He is guaranteeing something is going to happen. Luke 17, verse number 1 says, Then said he, Jesus, unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses, will you read the next two words with me? Ready? Will come. He said, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. Please follow me here. If we as a Christian expect broken people to be broken, and we consciously choose to love them anyway, then we are well on our way to being like Jesus and being spared this mortal surprise that anybody ever behaved like someone who has flesh. So I want to encourage you this morning or this evening, we're going to get to the root of where offenses come from as a church family, but let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessing and guidance tonight. Father, I need Your help. Lord, I need liberty. I really do. Lord, I don't want to impress anybody. I, I don't want to be the best at this. I don't want to be remembered. I don't want to even be appreciated, God. I simply just want to be a messenger. Lord, I want Your people, Lord, who came on a Tuesday night, Father, to, to be able to hear the Word to be able to maybe contemplate what, where, where is this conflict in our heart coming from? And I, Lord, I, I truly believe this church is greatly unified and doesn't have the schisms that a lot of churches do. And certainly that's not the reason I feel you laid this on my heart. But I, I really think, Lord, if you'll allow us to, to hitch up and stay close to the truth and, and listen to the message and follow the thought line, Lord, uh, I pray, God, that you'd help me to present it in a palatable way, an understandable way. I pray that you would guide us, God, into the truth tonight, Lord, as you promised in John 17, 17, that your spirit would take over, that your spirit would give us great grace, Lord, that you would allow us, Father, to hear the word and let it fall on our hearts and fall in our ears. And you do the work I can't do, God. I'll speak to their ears, but you've got to work in their hearts. And Lord, again, I'm not here to try to impress anybody, to, to try to move anybody, to try to call anybody out. God, you know my heart tonight is simply to try to help this church. Lord, I, I'm going to leave here uh, tonight and, and I won't be back, but I, I hope that your word can make an effective change and, and, and growth in our own life and understanding of how our relationships should work with each other. So, Lord, I pray, God, for a special blessing in your name. Amen. So, now we've spent some time thinking, wrestling with kind of the issue of why do, why, does, why, why do we get surprised when hurt people hurt us or broken people act like broken people. Now, I want to take you to a real-life biblical example of a real church that struggled with our topic this evening. There is a church in the Bible that struggled with this exact topic of relational brokenness, and they struggled with it a lot. There was all kinds of issues and sin in the church. There's partiality in the church and schism in the church, and the church I'm speaking about, of course, is the church in Corinth. And so, would you go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, if you would, and uh, we'll look at that in just a minute. Most notably, actually I believe you're going to 2 Corinthians, forgive me, I got my numbers mixed up there. But in 2 Corinthians, there's an issue going on in the church with these people, they're called chief teachers or chief apostles, and, and these men in the church had begun to assert themselves and push relational division in the congregation for their own benefit. This division had gotten so top toxic 
Thessalonic that these leaders in the church at Corinth in Paul's absence began to set their sights on attacking the Apostle Paul, the one who had started the church at Corinth. And they begin to focus on his leadership and his imperfections. And they even begin to embellish, you'll see a little bit, uh, of Paul's uh, attributes and his shortcomings. And it was working. We know the, the reason for the writing of the second letter of Corinthians was because the church had begun to fall into rejecting the Apostle Paul. The church had begun to be cold in their relationship to this once lifeline uh, pastor uh, in the Apostle Paul. And the second letter of Corinthians is written to address these accusations and these unmet expectations. And so here's what we're going to do tonight. Paul sends this entire letter uh, to this church addressing the issues of division in the church, and he's going to address where they come from and how to fix them. Now, unfortunately, I, I try to make it not my habit. I hate jumping into a passage right in the middle of it. I really like developing it and reading the passage, but the problem is we'd have to read the entire letter of 2 Corinthians, and so I, I, we don't have time to do that tonight, and so we'll just kind of fill you in on some of the topics as we go. But the whole purpose of writing, the intentional reason for writing 2 Corinthians is so that Paul could bring this church back into a fixed relationship, into a peaceable, amicable relationship with him, and he's going to address, and here's the takeaway tonight, he's going to address why broken relationships happen in the church and how to fix them. So let's jump into our text right in the middle of a conversation, and I apologize for that, right into the middle of a conversation in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 7, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 7, it says, Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? Now listen, part of the accusation against Paul was his physical appearance. These men in the church are trying to cause division based on what Paul looks like. And so look at, continue reading with me in verse number 7, it says, If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. And so Paul has to actually qualify himself as a follower of Jesus to the church that he started. Look at verse 8. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority... So he says, listen, I could, I could brag tonight. He said to this church that was beginning to be cold toward him, he said, I could brag and I could wade into the argument that I'm a better leader and that I am, I am a, I'm a, uh, the apostle of, uh, of Christ. He says, for though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. He says, I don't want to wade into this who's more popular and who's better. I don't want to get into the argument about who's the authority right now. Look at verse number uh, 9. That I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. Notice what he says. For his letters say they. These are these detractors at the church at Corinth. These are these uh, chief leaders of the church. He says, for his letters say they are weighty and powerful. But his bodily presence is weak. And his speech contemptible. Here's what's happening. This is, it's such a unique look into a church in the Bible that is incredibly flawed. He says, there are leaders in the church who are saying, listen, the Apostle Paul, he sounds so big and he sounds so powerful in his letters. But when you see him, his bodily presence is weak and his speech is, the word is contemptible. The word contemptible means annoying. Here's what they're saying in the church. Oh, that little fella, that weakling right there, his voice is so shrill, you wouldn't want to hear him. You might have read his first letter, but I'll tell you what, when you see the Apostle Paul, he's not a big leader like us. He's not as good as we are. And so Paul responds, and he says, I could wade into this argument about who I am and what authority I should have, but he says, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to get sucked into this popularity contest. Verse number 11, let such an one think this. 
that such as we are in word by letters when we are present, such will we be also indeed when we are, or forgive me, absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. And so Paul says, listen, it's not about the sound of my voice, and it's not about whether I look like a leader. He says, the power that rests on me is the power of Jesus Christ. And in the very next verse, and I told you I'm leading you somewhere, in the very next verse, he's going to get into why division happens in a church, or why division happens in a Christian's relationship in the first place. So he says, instead of getting into the argument about how squeaky my voice is, or how annoying my voice is, or how little I am, or how, how I don't look powerful, he, Paul's going to address the heart of relational issues. He's going to lay the axe to the root. Look at verse number 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number. He said, I'm not going to jump in with that group of people who are having a popularity contest at the church at Corinth. He says, we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare, uh, compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. He says, I'm not going to stand up here and say, well, yeah, you think my voice is annoying? Well, I think you're, think you're dumb, and I think you're a bad person. He says, I'm not going to get into that argument with them. Notice, here's the issue, the root of it. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Now listen, that's a great verse out of context, but it's a much better verse in its context. Paul just showed us that these people over here, these chief leaders in the church, are standing over here saying, well, Paul, he's, he's weak, and Paul, his voice is annoying, and he sounds big, but he's not nothing. And, and Paul says, listen, I'm not going to get into that, but he says the reason they're doing this is that they are measuring themselves by themselves, and they're comparing me with their view of them. Look at verse number 13. He says, we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. So let's come up for air. Let's, let's regroup and refocus on what's in front of us. That's a lot of information and a lot of background. So here's what we know. There's relational division happening in the church that Paul had started. And this group of people with one hand are patting themselves on the back saying, hey, we're pretty awesome and that guy's not. We've got this covered and that guy doesn't. We have this standard and that guy doesn't. And here's what Paul says. He says, I'm not going to wade into that because I'm not going to feed into the division. And look at verse number 12 again, if you would, with me. It says, for we dare not make ourselves of, that, of the number of that group of people, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. They're over there patting themselves on the back, and Paul says, I'm not going to get into that argument. And he says, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. And so Paul gives us this beautiful hidden nugget in the Scriptures about where relational division begins to grow up in a church. These men were using the measuring stick of themselves to judge other people. They were saying, hey, here's how I look. See how Paul looks? Hey, here's how I behave. See how Paul behaves? My voice is strong and my personality is powerful. And now look at the Apostle Paul. He is weak and contemptible. And it's worth noting this will be the same church that Paul in this letter has to remind that God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and that God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And so I think there is something powerful to learn about this truth of expectations. The kind of expectations in a Christian's heart that when unmet bring disappointment. When I thought that Brother Samuel would behave like I would, 
Now all of a sudden I'm offended. And I thought that the church would always act like I would act, and they didn't. We begin, to be un, we begin to ungraciously think that if people behave the way we think, we would have behaved in their shoes. We, we think, well, you know, I, my kids wouldn't do that, and I wouldn't raise my family that way, and I wouldn't have said what they said. And we begin to compare other people to this view we have of ourselves. With one hand, we pat ourselves on the back over our child rearing, and with the other hand, we point out a brother or sister in Christ and say, how dare they ever do that? And we're doing exactly what they did in Corinth. We're comparing ourselves and commending ourselves and talking about how great we are, and we're pointing our finger at the Apostle Paul. And maybe it's not the Apostle Paul, so it's a little easier to point out the, the flaws of a teenager. We think, well, I wasn't that way when I was a teenager. You know how teenagers are these days. They're such rebels, and they're, they're this. And back in my day, when I walked 46 miles uphill in the snow both ways, you know, I, I love Jesus. And what are we doing? We are measuring ourselves, and we're measuring everybody else with the measuring stick made in our own likeness. We're patting ourselves on the back with one hand and pointing the finger to those who aren't like us. And because people are not like us, we tend to write them off. Well, they don't think like I do, and they don't look like I do, and their speech isn't like my speech, and they use words that I don't use, and you have certain standards, and they don't have those standards, and their opinions are different than my opinions, and they react in a way that I wouldn't react. And every time conflict comes into a church, we bust out the measuring stick made in our own likeness. There's, a, there's an issue in the church. I don't, you just kind of pick one out of the thin air. Whatever the Spirit of God brings to your mind, there's, there's some conflict in the church, and she, took, she looked at your wife in a certain way, or that person at the door forgot to give you a bulletin, or they didn't sing happy birthday to you. Whatever happens, whatever conflict in the church happens in your relationship, here's what we tend to do. We pull out the measuring stick and say, I wouldn't have done it that way. Well, that's not how I would think. That's not how I would have treated them. And we all of a sudden start judging people based on our opinion of ourselves. And listen to this idea. It's not so much that people are broken that we justify our dislike for them. Well, yeah, yeah, pastor, everybody's broken. That's not what gets us so upset at them. It's that we think that they are more broken than we are. Amen. We, we think, well, I know I'm broken. I've got my issues, and my wife and I, we fight, but we don't do it like that. You know what we just did? We just measured our own likeness and assumed that we were somehow better than them because they were broken more than we were. Or perhaps they're broken in different areas than we are. This is so unique in a body of believers. Sometimes we think that, well, their, their, their personality is more hard and I'm more gentle. And so that, that bothers me, that, that that person is so, so over the top, and, and they just talk so much, and, and they're such a loud person, and they walk into the room, and, and, and you think, well, I never walk into the room and demand attention. I never walk into the room, and I'm the biggest personality. And so just because someone's different than you, all of a sudden you start measuring them in your likeness, and you get to write them off because they're not like you. Maybe you're the person in here who is more... You're more, more hard on sin, right? you're, more, you're more prophetic, you're more black and white. You see things right down the line, and, and you see somebody offering mercy to someone who sinned, and you think, compromiser, <laughs> what are you doing? I wouldn't have said that to him. You know what you just admitted? They, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. A lot of times we use that verse to talk about our work and a church's work across town. Hey, we shouldn't compare ourselves. What's happening where that verse actually fits is in a church's relationship with itself. Maybe you're in this room. How many of you, I was going to say, how many of you are introverted? You're not going to raise your hand. How many of you are extroverted? Raise your hand. You're an extrovert. Great. You know who drives you nuts? Introverts. 
Introverts, I won't make you raise your hand because that feels terrifying. You know who drives an introvert nuts? An extrovert. And I, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I want you to recognize that God put every member in the body who is different on purpose. We're going to get to that in just a second. But sometimes you're more, how many of you are quicker to make decisions? You, you know, you'll pray about it, yeah, but you're going to be right there, you're quicker to make a decision. And then there's those who are slow to make decisions. And I'm like, come on, the ark is closing, snail. You can make it. You can do it. And so the more faster that you are, the more irritating a slower person is. The more slow that you are, you look over there and say, you're being irresponsible. Didn't you even pray about this? And you know what we're doing? They don't fit my measuring stick. Now listen, I, I want to illustrate this tonight. I don't, it was, it's a little bit difficult for me to do because I don't know your church members, but I asked Brother Doug to give me four volunteers. So whoever those four volunteers, come up here if you would uh, while I'm speaking. So you four volunteers, whoever you are, come up here. Now I asked Brother Doug, I said, I need someone who's really smart and someone who's really not. <laughs> I don't know which one is up here, but you probably do. All right? I said, I need someone who's really outgoing and someone who's really shy. I need someone who really, you know, is, is a, a fiery person and someone who's a more compassionate person. Now, I have no idea. I can tell you a little bit about Brother Jay. I, I, I think I know where he lands uh, in this spectrum. I won't tell you who I think he is in this spectrum. But these men, uh, according to Brother Doug's discretion, are not very similar in a lot of ways. There's some different personalities up here. Different things, no doubt, excite these men. Different things would bother and irritate these men. These men have different struggles, different pasts. Um, but don't raise your hand, but I want you to think with me. Who are you the most like up here? Don't answer out loud. Whose ha hobbies perhaps do you share? Whose personality is most like your own? Who do you most identify with? Think with me. Again, I don't know. Honestly, I think, Brother Jay, probably you and I would land somewhere closer to the, uh, the spectrum of crazy, so you and I are going to be in the same boat. Um, the rest of these brothers, probably pretty normal, right? I mean, if, if I ask for the opposite of Brother Jay, we've probably got some pretty solid dudes up here uh, who are a little more mellow than, than you and I are. Now I want to ask you another question. Who of these four men are you the least like? I didn't ask which of these men do you like the least. I mean, who of the four men does your personality least match up with? Their behavior is least like your own. Their hobbies are least uh, likely to be shared with you. Now here is a very natural occurrence. I'm going to show you something. Who, uh, you are nearly always more favorable to those who are like you and less favorable to those who are less like you. Listen, if someone, if someone up here is like you, you tend to like them more. You tend to be more gracious to them. You tend to hold them in higher esteem, and you think, man, that person's cool, or that person's so smart, or that person's so kind, or that person is so patient. And we tend to give the benefit of the doubt to people who are more like us. And here becomes the danger of church life. You get enough broken and weak people under the same roof for a long enough time, you're going to find out that one of these four men are less like you. Someone up here, perhaps their personality just rubs you the wrong way. Sometimes the, their little actions, the little things they do just perhaps irritate you. Like, why is he having such a hard time making that decision? Or why did he make that decision so fast? And, and, and it doesn't, maybe it's different for every single person, but sometimes we think, well, I just don't understand why they did that. Or their personality just isn't my favorite. And do you know why that is? Because our measuring stick looks like us, oftentimes. What makes a good Christian is what looks just like me. 
Now listen, this plays out in public circles all the time. Think about politics for just a minute. It's so funny to me how much hypocrisy exists in politics. You got one guy over here who does the exact same crime. Everybody in their political party wants to give him a pass. As soon as the other person does the exact same thing, I mean, they will string him from the nearest tree, even though the person who was like them did the exact same thing. What happens is we measure in our likeness. We measure and we think, well, I'm more favorable to those who think like me and act like me. Honestly, and I don't mean to get into this, but that's why racism happens uh, from any side of the spectrum. Well, people look like me, I'm going to give them a pass. People don't look like me, I'm not going to give them a pass. And that same thing happens in our church. If there are people that you say, oh, their personality just rubs me the wrong way, then I would submit to you, you're measuring in your own likeness. You're comparing yourself among yourselves, and you are being unwise. Thank you, gentlemen. You can be seated. Here is one thing about the body of Christ. And listen, here's kind of the take-home thought. He didn't make us all the same on purpose. Jesus made the different parts of the body different for a reason. Now, all you have to do, and we don't have time to do it tonight, but all you have to do is read 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 tells us that there is differences of administrations and differences of gifts and differences of of abilities and differences of offices, and there's one Lord. And there's one body. And so tonight at Liberty Baptist Church, I just want to submit to you what I already know, though I've not observed. You all have different experiences. You all have different functions in the church. You all have different personalities. Some of you are more outgoing. Some of you are less. Some of you are very even-keeled. Some of you are very excitable. You all have different strengths. You all have different weaknesses. Some in this room are gung-ho about biblical translation. Some of you would fall asleep if that was the message tonight. And did you know a church needs somebody who is? So that the rest of us, I'll say it this way, churches need people who are over the top on some issues because the rest of us are kind of under the top. And that over the top person helps the church kind of buoy, and we get irritated because someone's passionate about something we're not. And I'm just submitting to you that God made it that way in the church on purpose. Different passions and different faith levels. Oh, we've got a lady in our church, Miss Freyer. Oh, I love her to death. Nothing ever bothers that lady. I mean, we could, we could have something, some major crisis in the church, and this sweet 85-year-old lady says, Pastor Jesus is going to take care of it. And I'm saying, sister, your faith is annoying, okay? I'm supposed to take care of it. No, I'm just kidding. But There's differences of faith, different measures of faith, different measures of patience. Some of you are very administrative, and some of you are less administrative. Some of you have different gifts. And you know what's beautiful about the body? That the hand doesn't look like the foot, and that the ear is not the eye. Some parts of the body are comely, and some are uncomely. Some parts are honorable, and some are less honorable, the Bible says. And here's what I want to submit to you. That is not only okay in a church for someone to be different than you, for someone to talk a little different, or in Paul's case, he wasn't as big as them. He wasn't as powerful. His voice wasn't as as magnanimous as theirs. And yet, not only are the differences of a church okay, they are actually on purpose. God made the body different on purpose. Uniformity in a church is not a quality to be celebrated. Listen to that. Uniformity is not a quality to be celebrated. I don't mean to be insensitive about disabilities. I'm just going to use the example that Paul and Jesus both used. He talks about how every appendage is supposed to be different. Could you imagine today if, if every one of your appendages was a finger? And I honestly don't mean to be silly. But if instead of two hands and two feet, you had four hands... Or instead of two eyeballs and a nose and a mouth, you had only eyeballs. Nobody would celebrate because uniformity is a deformity in the body. 
and a church where everybody acts like each other, and everybody looks like each other, and everybody talks like each other, and nobody's different, and nobody's got a different gift, and nobody's got a different administration, and nobody's passionate about anything that the rest aren't passionate about, in a church where everybody acts and looks and talks and sings and says, just like everybody else, you have a deformed body. So God put those people in your life who are different from you on purpose. So don't make that an issue. Don't let the differences in the body of Christ become something that causes division and friction and fighting. Uniformity should not excite us. If anything, uniformity in a body would hinder its ability to work. Listen, if I had four hands, I couldn't get as much done. We, we all shouldn't look exactly like the pastor or exactly like this person, particular person. Uh, we, we all shouldn't look like you. A lot of times we pick on the pastor because, you know, we're easy targets. But a lot of times it's not the pastor in the pulpit that thinks everybody should look like me. It's the, the church member who's been here for 45 years that thinks, everybody ought to act like me. Everybody ought to think like me. Everybody ought to talk like me. And every time there's any discrepancy, that person makes us think about it. Can I just say God made everybody different on purpose? He adds different members to the body on purpose. Not everybody needs to look like, uh, I'm, I'm grateful there's differences in appendages. We need to get back to the place where, listen, Jesus is our measuring stick. Amen. Where what makes that teenager successful is not that they dress like you did back in the 30s. I hope, I don't think there's anybody, but anybody a teenager in the 30s? That's public school math right there for you, okay? <laughs> well, back when I was a teenager in the 80s, I never dressed like that. Yeah, you had bell bottoms on. We'll pray for you. But the measuring stick for a teenager's success shouldn't be you, it should be Jesus. Man. Hey, do they love God? Do they, do they maybe dress a little different than I think? Or do they sing to Jesus and maybe they sing a little different than I do? Can I just say, they don't have to act and look like you, you're not the measuring stick. Is Jesus pleased with their offering? Then let's accept it. I think that's important to recognize. Church members are not supposed to be exactly the same. You know what I'm grateful for? Churches aren't supposed to be exactly the same. Amen. You know, we joked a little bit about, Brother Sammy and myself, we joked a little bit about the differences of Bakersfield and Newport Beach. I, I love Newport Beach. It's, it's beautiful. It's nice. I, I, I told my wife when we were coming over here, I said, hey, we got we to gotta throw out the chewing tobacco and make our kids wear shoes. Um, there's some civilized folk here in Newport Beach, and uh, we got to make sure we leave our hillbilly at home. We're coming to church tonight. I'm just kidding. We're not quite that hillbilly. But I will say at Bakersfield, it, it's a different culture. It's a different climate. My people are different than these people. And can I just say, thank God for that. God made Liberty Baptist Church the way that Liberty Baptist Church is, because Liberty Baptist Church is supposed to reach the people of Newport Beach. And God put me, I couldn't, I couldn't hack it in Newport Beach. I'm not, I'm, I'm not as refined as Brother Sammy. I'm not as savvy as Brother Jay back there. You put me in Newport Beach, I don't, I don't know what I would do here. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. There's no tractor supply, and I, I can't find overalls. I'm just kidding. We really don't do that in Bakersfield. I don't. They do. Um, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, God makes the bodies different. You're ministering in an area that, that I'm not ministering in. And God made me, I truly believe with all my heart, you can ask my wife and ask my church, I truly believe God made me the way he made me for Bakersfield, California. And I was just driving through town, I didn't even tell my wife, I was just looking at the similarities of, of Santa Clara and, and Newport Beach thinking, man, God was preparing Brother Ryan for this place. Before Brother Ryan ever knew he'd come here, God was crafting and creating and shaping to put him in this place. And thank God for the differences that he works into our lives. Romans 14.4 is a good reminder for us tonight as we close. It says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. 
It's not our job to judge somebody else's servant. It's not my job to come into Liberty Baptist Church and think, y'all should do it this way. You don't, you don't stand or fall to me. You stand or fall to Jesus. And it's not your job to look across the aisle and think, well, that family should behave this way, and they should be raising their kids this way. And, it, and, and you know, if you have that mindset, I bet if you thought long enough, the this way is actually your way. Because you're measuring by yourselves. It's our job to love the brethren. It's our job to care for them. It's our job to lift up the brethren, not to hold them to your own likeness. I'll say this, listen, there's no job opening for the accuser of the brethren. That job's already been taken. And yet I watch Christians try to take that job. I watch Christians try to, try to fill that position where we're pointing out differences and pointing out flaws. Listen, we, it should be our crusade. Uh, not, it shouldn't be our crusade, rather, to make everyone think or act or, or behave just like we do. It, it, that's not helping the body. A church isn't more useful if everyone acts and thinks just like us. The, there are people that God made them to reach. These young people are going to try to reach their generation. My generation is trying to reach my generation, really try to reach the whole world. But differences in the body are important. Don't make it your mission to uniform the body. Make it your mission to operate in unity within the body. Those chief teachers in Corinth shouldn't have said, well, here's the differences Paul is from us. They should have said, hey, thank God God's using Paul in that way, and God made him different for that reason, and God's hands on him, and we want God's hands on us, and we're just going to work together for the sake of the gospel. We're going to strive for that. And so as we close, just let me remind you of this. Everybody in this room is weak. We're strong in some areas, but we're weak in others. Those strengths and weaknesses God put into the body on purpose. Listen, my... I don't know. Um, there, there are certain parts of your body that are stronger than other parts. Uh, and that's on purpose. Could you imagine? This is just weird, and I'm kind of weird. Could you imagine if your upper lip was as buff as your lower legs? Weird, right? There are certain strengths for certain reasons in the body. I'm not making this illustration up. That was a little weird, but the illustration is the one that Jesus used. The body is supposed to be different. Everybody in this room is strong at something, and everybody in this room is weak at something. We are all broken because of the curse of sin. And here's the beautiful thing, God's okay with that. God's okay with her past and his past and their past back there, and God wants to make all things beautiful in his time, and he wants to use all things together for good, even the stuff we messed up on. He wants to take it and use it for his glory. So don't throw eggs at people who are just trying to be used by Jesus. Understand that God's going to use broken and weak people. And so decide right now to know that they're broken and weak. Listen, you got a great staff at Liberty Baptist Church, but they're broken and weak men and women. And you should choose to love them anyway. And, and staff, you have a beautiful church and wonderful people here at Liberty Baptist Church. But you know one thing, ministry, you don't have to be in for very long. You'll realize that people are broken and they're messy and they're weak. And Jesus loves them anyway. And so it's our job to love the young people of the church. It's our job to love the visitors that are broken. I told my wife, it was funny, I was, I was in the restroom, I was uh, washing my hands, and one of the visitors, it was his second week, came in, and he was talking to another church member, and uh, he didn't know I was in the bathroom. And uh, Brother Jay, he said, hey, I want you to invite you to, to my, my kid's birthday party, it's going to be awesome. And, and I, I mean, it's a small bathroom, it's not like your guys, you guys could play volleyball or vo volleyball in your bathroom, praise the Lord. Ours isn't that big. And so he didn't know I was there, and so he's telling him, oh, I want you to come to my kid's birthday party. And then he said, you know what, after... Uh, after we get up the bounce houses, we're going we're gonna to break open the adult drinks and have some good time. And I walk around the corner, and he's like, hey, pastor, I mean, we're not going to drink at all in any way. And, and uh, you know, some of you would run that man out of church. Sure. Yeah. But you know what? That man's not saved. Yeah. My youth pastor's had him over to his house twice. He's trying to witness to him right now. And you know what? I know that Jesus loves everybody regardless of their past. And we ought to have that expectation that, hey, broken people, they're going to they're gonna act broken. 
Lost people are going to act lost. You know, I hate to say it, but sometimes saved people are going to act lost too. You know how I know that? I'm married. I'm kidding. I am a broken person who acts lost sometimes too. My wife's over there. She can't hit me from here. But listen, Liberty Baptist Church, I'm sure you're amazing at this. But choose right now to consciously know there's broken people all around me right now in this room. And at some point or another, they're going to mess up. But I'm going to love them anyway. And I'm not going to hold them to the measuring stick of my own likeness. I'm not going to say the words like, well, I would never dress that way. And I would never do that. And I would have remembered. And sure, maybe you would have. But there are other areas perhaps they're strong at that you would be weak in. And I can promise you, if we will let Jesus be the measuring stick, if we will lift him up and let him do his work, and we will love the brethren, hereby shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If you have the right standards. Listen, I'm all for putting things in place to try to help you live a better life. More like Jesus. But that's not what he said. He said, herein shall all men know. The whole world is going to know you're my follower. That you have love. And you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say for the lost. Though we should. But he says, the world is going to know you're mine. That you have love one for another. This world ought to be able to walk in the back doors of Liberty Baptist Church and say, wow. I've never seen a group of people that just get along like this. Maybe it's because they're perfect. (laughs) No, no, no. We're not. We just choose to love each other anyway. And I promise you, while I can't help this church in in every way, I'm going to leave, and and we may not see each other again. My hope is this. If I can leave you with one mark, it would be this. Let Jesus be the measuring stick and love people anyway. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.